This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude, come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Man, man, man. We call it the, uh, the place to be. Place to be. Then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do, to, to do worse than Josh Richard. Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be Podcast. I'm the sun, I'm the air. I'm the shyness that is criminally vulgar. I'm the sun and air. Placement of Nation, welcome back to another great episode of the one and only PCB Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Rosero, coming to you here on this Monday evening inside the PCBN studios. And joining me, as always, is Mr. Scott Scott, Scott, how are you? Good evening, JR. Good evening, PTV Wrestling Network fans and family and loyalists. Welcome to episode 620 <laughs> of the longest running episodic motherfucking gold. Uh, JR, always good to talk to you, sir, as we are in the throes of 2023. Our 13th birthday is almost upon us. A lot of fun. Wild, wild times. Yeah, yes. a month. Crazy, One right? from this episode, a uh, couple away from our anniversary episode. So that'll be a lot of yes. fun. Of course, yes. hopefully everyone's had a uh, safe, long weekend. And always yes. pay a tribute to the great Martin Luther King Jr., as always, here in January. Um, so, yeah, why don't we uh, go ahead and dive in? We're kicking off a brand new calendar year tonight. Yes. And we have a returning guest that we're very excited about. He is... Uh, one of the, the key cogs of the North-South Connection helps us run the show across the board. All of our new endeavors over there. Plus, uh, you hear him on the Viewer's Choice podcast. You can hear him at the Final Wrestling Place as well. Plus a smattering of other episode appearances uh, across all of our feeds. And that is uh, not the tool man, Mr. Tim Taylor. Tim, how you doing? I am so good. I'm glad to, to have gotten through the other end of the holiday season and uh, ready to have a rip roar in 2023. Now, is this Timothy T. Taylor or Timothy J. Taylor? Uh, this <laughs> is Timothy M. Taylor. Those are uh, all my <laughs> pseudonyms. So, all right. Very nice. Well, as we usually do here on this show, before we uh, get into our current uh, topic du jour, we're going to head back in time to discuss. The world of pro wrestling and beyond. Back in now, Scott, 1995, we've moved into. Uh, of course, oh, we yeah. take a 14-year look back, kind of talk through some fun facts and other uh, pop culture tidbits. But we're going to kick things off with what was going on in the world of wrestling this week in 1995. Yes, and it was a busy day. Let me tell you, a busy day. Uh, January 25th, 1995, 
the World Wrestling Federation was about to do a uh, challenge taping at the Lee Civic Center in Fort Myers, Florida. Wow. <laughs> How the mighty have fallen. Uh, the, I don't even know, really? Um, the, uh, scheduled Undertaker versus IRS match was canceled. It's sad. Oh. Uh, the Black Phantom defeated... Saving it for the Rumble, I guess. Yes, pretty much. The, the, un, the Black Phantom was David Heath. Of course, we all know who he would, what he yes. would eventually. Uh, we also had some Action Zone tapings as well. Um, on the 219, just doing just the stand-ups... Uh, featured Ray Rougeau conducting an in-ring interview with Shawn Michaels in which Michaels said everyone in the WWF was jealous of him and that he had found a bodyguard to watch his back and would unveil that man the following night on Raw. Included a music video tribute to WWF world champion Diesel set to his entrance music. Uh, uh, Ricky Medlock of Blackfoot and Leonard Skinner fame was the guest ring announcer for a match between Adam Baum and Sonny Pruitt. I don't know what that's about, but anyway. Praise dad. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Smacking. Who's getting That's thrown so down weird. the uh, <laughs> right? Crazy. Uh, so there we go. So there was. So that was going on on this date, uh, January 25th, 1995. The WWF was doing a challenge taping in Fort Myers, Florida. Meanwhile, WCW had a very big show on this night. Clash of the Champions 30 was oh, yeah. taking place on this on this night at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. Uh, the dark match was Brad and Scott Armstrong defeated Sticks later in Bunkhouse Buck. Shown live on TBS, uh, Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan on commentary included Gene Okerlund conducting a backstage interview with Kevin Sullivan and the Butcher regarding the match later in the show against the Monster Maniacs team of WCW World Champion Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. Featured Okerlund conducting an interview in the aisle with WCW US Champion Vader regarding his scheduled match against Hogan at Super Brawl Five and his possible participation during the night's main event. Manager Harley Race was introduced alongside Vader, but did not appear. Vader saying Race may appear later in the broadcast. Vader then claimed Hogan was afraid of him. After the interview, uh, Vader took a ringside seat, included Okerlund conducting a backstage interview with Hogan, Savage, and Jimmy Hart regarding their match later in the show, featured a Super Bowl V control center, which was announced Hogan and Vader could be, couldn't be within 300 feet of one another before their match at the pay-per-view. And of course, the card very quickly... Uh, TV champion Arn Anderson uh, defeated Johnny B. Bad. Alex Wright pinned Bobby Eaton. Uh, tag team champions Harlem Heat defeated Marcus Alexander Bagwell and the Patriot. Um, Ric Flair appeared with two women, acknowledged Vader at ringside, shook Bobby Heenan's hand, then took his own seat in another part of the arena. It was Flair's first arena appearance in three months. Uh, that was prior to the match. Sting defeated Avalanche via submission. Uh, and there's a bunch of stuff here. Rachel, oh, uh, the Guardian Angel came in. Uh, during the match, uh, he said shit while tearing his Guardian Angel shirt and was Big Bubba Rogers again. Ray Trailers returned as Big Bubba after seven years. Of course, he was mm -hmm. Big Bubba in the 80s. And, of course, in the main event, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage beat the Butcher and Kevin Sullivan at 12-10 uh, when Hogan pinned Butcher with the leg drop after Butcher sustained Savage's flying elbow smash. Prior to the bout, Ric Flair returned to his seat in the crowd. At the five-minute mark, Savage hit the elbow smash on Hogan to revive him after being double-teamed by Butcher and Sullivan. That's funny. So after the bout, Hogan, it was stupid. Hogan and Vader had an in-ring confrontation. Hogan and Savage clearing Vader from the ring after Hogan hulked up from the powerbomb. Hogan and Savage kept Vader from the ring with steel chairs as the show came to a close. So that was on this date, January 25th, 1995, Clash of the Champions 
30 took place in Las Vegas. I think 95 WCW may have the biggest imbalance of like, at least the first half until Flair really gets back into it. But like the biggest imbalance of like a loaded face side and just like nothing going on the heels is like legitimate challengers. Like it's that first quarter to half of 95 is just really, I mean, you got Vader and then like nothing else. <laughs> it's like nobody else believable. Um, but yeah, so anyway. Yeah. It's a lot of crap. So, so there you go. There is uh, what went on on this date in 1995. JR, uh, time to fire up a little herb. All right, let's get into it. January 6, 1995, WCW held Starcade on December 27th. I didn't see it. Nothing to note happened during the show, but some interesting things must have happened before. Sure, Hulk Hogan agreed to work a program with Vader for the WCW title, but it was surprising to hear how Hogan's friends fared on the show. Honky Tonk Man quit. Right before the show, presumably as he balked at jobbing for Johnny B. Bad, Jim Duggan lost the U.S. title to Vader, which even if it was a little screwy, is unexpected to me anyhow. And at the end of the pay-per-view, Vader attacked Hogan, uh, accused him of hiding, and challenged him to a match. I saw this part on TV when I returned home, and it came off well. I was impressed by WCW again when I saw a print ad for the show in the local paper a couple of days before. It was still the old ad featuring Hogan, Flair, and Vader in three main events. Reports have WCW losing $4 million in 1994. Is Ted Turner worried? Who knows? He's too busy working on a deal to try to buy NBC. The WF has already filed char- fired Charlie Min, replacing him with Stephanie Wyan and Tamara Murphy, who's Tammy Fitch from Smoky, uh, Smoky Mountain. Tamara is doing a straight announcing role, but this talk she'll eventually get worked into a heel managing spot. Two newcomers of source that we have to debut this weekend. Kama doing a tough guy kickboxing gimmick is Charles Wright, formerly Papa Shango. In the video, they aired to introduce the new character. They didn't go through any extra effort to hide his tattoos from his forearms on up. I guess that speaks to how over they thought Shango was. Mantar, who apparently stinks, wears a buffalo head to the rig. And is a brother of longtime RSPW favorite <laughs> Paul PN News. New, didn't we once joke that could hire Paul and his brother's rapping team calling meat and potatoes. Also pairing in recent <laughs> Dirty FT tapings with Max Payne as a guitar playing blacksmith. <laughs> I don't think that was quite the gimmick to go with, the blacksmith who plays a guitar. Oh, There's no, talk- oh, I'm, I, I'm still flabbergasted <laughs> There's a lot that on. Mantar and PN News are related. They're brothers, yeah. They're Halix. I, the brothers Halix. Today I learned. Today I <laughs> learned. I'm Actually, I don't I know like if they're actually I love are. PN News. I don't know. I don't know. I, no, I'm. It's, it's head canon now. I, it's it's like LL, LL Cool J and Queen Latifah are married. They are brothers. It feels like is, something that was. Canon. It feels like something that was maybe a like rumor in the day because I'm I'm looking at it and his last name is Mike Halleck. I, I think PN News is Paul Paul New or whatever, right? So I, I don't think they're actually brothers. Yeah, he's, yeah, different names. They're not brothers. Pretty funny though. Heartbroken. Uh, Yes. That's probably one of those things that Scott Keith passed around as truth for like 15 years after this, but <laughs> probably. Uh, I do love uh, meat and potatoes and Max Payne, uh, guitar playing blacksmith. There's talk that Jean-Paul Levesque may jump to the RDF and talk that the Bruise Brothers, Ron and Don Harris, have been approached as well. Chris Candido will start in the RDF in March, f- finishing out of Smoky Mountain Commitments. I saw the debut of Hakushi, Jinsei Shinzaki, and several subsequent matches with him. Either he's supposed to be a heel or white-faced Akio Sato. The commentators try to make that point. He's drawn zero crowd reaction in the matches I've seen. It's not surprising since he's doing handspring elbows and planches, stuff to which the audience has no idea how to react when the heel does the moves. It brings to mind the Candido story from Smoky Mountain. Read my fan week sem- summary if this makes no sense. Okay, I heard most of your stuff makes no sense. Hmm. Pat Patterson gave up a lot of his power in the of booking scene. In a weird surprise, Jim Ross will take a large role in the booking of the company, and Dusty Rhodes will also take part. 
Uh, <laughs> I didn't know this is a thing that Dusty Rhodes may be coming back to the WF to book, but uh, Ross has been doing TV for Smoky Mountain. will move to Stanford since the day of work will be how he spends the majority of his time. He's only needed once a month for Smoky Mountain tapings and perhaps one or two major shows a year. The reduction in power of Patterson is evident as he plans to relocate to Florida. Dusty will bring along his son and son of a plumber to once again work for the WF. I don't want to even speculate what this change could bring about. I had no idea that this was even a rumor at the time that Dusty Rose was coming back to book the WF in 1995, but there it is. Uh, WCW runs their second all-nighter on January 20th. Uh, from 12.05 to 6 a.m. I'm not sure if that's 12.05 on 121. The show is slated to feature the best matches of many Clash of Champions specials over the years. There's talk that it will be a special tribute to Ricky Steamboat as well and will air the Hogan-Flair retirement match from Halloween Havoc. The Royal Rumble takes place on January 22nd, featuring sexy silicone supplemented surf star Pamela Anderson. How's that for alliteration? Um, and announced matches are Diesel versus Bret Hart for the world title, Undertaker versus IRS, Razor Ramon versus Jeff Jarrett for the IC title. The finals of the tag team tourney, most likely bet is Bam Bam Bigelow and Tatanka versus the Smoking Guns. However, there's talk that 123Kid and Bob Holly will somehow become replacement finalists. Royal Rumble has announced participants so far of Lex Luger, King Kong Bundy, Doink, Bob Backlund, Quang, Drew Drossi, Dick Murdoch, Henry Godwin, Aldo Montoya, the British Bulldog, Moe, Mabel, 123Kid, Bob Holly, Shawn Michaels, Crush, Mantar, Owen Hart, and Jim Neidhart. This year, the Rumble match will have wrestlers enter the ring in one-minute intervals. Maybe soon we'll just go back to normal Battle Royal where they all start together. There's talk of Jeff Jarrett winning the IC title at the show. It's been rumored for a while that Razor Ramon is taking a vacation. It also seems like they're building to a Bushwhackers and Howard Finkel versus Well Done and Harvey Whipple match at the show. A match that could seem to be the obvious hopeful for worst match of the year, even ahead of a dreadful Undertaker versus IRS match. Thank God we don't get that. WCW is a clash of champions on January 25th. Hogan and Savage versus Sullivan and Butcher. Sting versus Avalanche with Guardian Angels, the referee. Harlem Heat versus Stars and Stripes for the tag team titles. Alex Wright versus Bobby Eaton. Harlem Heat won the tag titles at TV taping slated to air this weekend, so they'll go into the clash with the belts. This will also continue the push of Alex Wright. Super Brawl, Hogan versus Vader. So that's it. a pretty hefty news blast there on January 5th, Tim. Any uh, takeaways besides the Halleck voice? Um... You're you also reminding me of that atrocious one minute interval rumble from 95. Like I, I wanted to wipe that from my memory. I wanted to replace Mantar PN news with the 95 one minute <laughs> interval rumble, but uh, alas, I cannot do so. Scott, Nathan, um, <laughs> dusty booking. That's like a right. kind of a pseudo big fucking deal. That's but, yeah. I, I did not remember that at all. No, I don't either. That's kind of crazy. Huh? Well, I mean, I don't, wow. I thought he was the WCW right through. Like I didn't realize he leaves and comes back. Like, I don't know. And I mean, I mean Dustin's still there too. He doesn't get fired till March. So yeah, 1995 would have been very different. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. Cause it doesn't, is it 95? The fall brawl with nasty dream. That's 94. Or is that? Yeah, okay. that had just happened. Yeah. So, okay, so maybe there's a window where like Dusty's contract is coming up, and like right. this this rumor gets floated, and Turner's like, well, now, 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 we can't uh, have Dusty leaving now, and then just just sign him on and get a couple more years out of the dream. All right. Well, we'll see if Herb has any more here in the next installment, January thirteenth. Mm-hmm. Mantar 
All right, well, let me talk about this first. I had the pleasure of seeing one of Tully Blanchard's ministry cassettes yesterday. I had a picture of Tully in his ministerial suit with the Bible in hand and a small picture of him with a TV belt around his waist. The cassette jacket had the following words of advice. People go to hell at the rate of 24000 an hour. Don't let it happen to you. There you go. Tully on the, <laughs> on the beat. Mantar debuted this weekend on the Cindy's. Did he seem good to anybody? There's weird talk in the Observer about Jean-Paul Levesque jumping to WWF. At last word, WCW was nervous enough and interested enough in keeping him. They offered him and Steven Regal the tag team titles to be heels managed by Sherry Martell, who would turn on all our meat. Meltzer also reports has already talked that Diesel's dirt of champion was the wrong move, and the bell will be moved back to Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels soon. Would have been crazy. Uh, it could have been a whole different world if Jean-Paul Levesque takes that deal and sticks around. Uh, with WCW. It's expected yes, it that WCW does. will indeed use guys from New Japan and AAA in their Cruiserweight tournament. Will they let them pull out all the stops? We'll see. Despite Jim Ross denying the story, as reported by Joe Petticino, rumors persist that Dusty Rhodes is on his way to the front office with Sun Dustin in tow. Uh, All-Nighter on January 20th, Rumble on January 22nd, pretty much the same batch of stuff. Talk that Jarrett's going to win the IC belt. A uh, year this year, Rumble will be uh, one minute intervals, eight more to go. The winner of the Rumble match uh, gets the title shot at WrestleMania for whatever it's worth. I've already heard scuttlebutt that the plans will be re- at WrestleMania Diesel versus Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart versus the British Bulldog. Clash of Champions, same card we've talked about. Super Raw still Hogan Vader. So pretty quick batch there. Any quick thoughts? I still can't uh, get over the fucking Dusty yeah. Rhodes thing. I yeah. can't get over the Dusty Rhodes yeah. thing. Doubling down on Dusty again, like it just—if it's not true, like there's no truth to it. It's it's very heavy-handed at this point. Right. All right, January twentieth, second all-nighter on the twenty-first. Royal Rumble, pretty much the same stuff here. Hopefully, it's expected Jake Roberts will debut as one of IRS's druids. (laughs) That is uh, quite the rumor there as well. Get a lot of herb specials here tonight. Uh, hopefully the additional role participants will include Hakushi and maybe even Chris Candido. My mom has just gotten into last month's worth of TV, including DF. And Shawn Michaels' interviews have her interested in the show. She expects him to get an early draw of the Rumble and last throughout the match for the win. She's also hoping that Kid and Holly win the tag titles. If you remember, Luger and David Boy Smith won over Bigelow and Tatanka, so it seems more likely to me that the big guys will win and Luger and Smith will challenge. So uh, Herb's mom is more on point than he is with this. I guess ECW fans don't have it easy. No matter where they turn, someone thinks they're mostly into it for uncontrolled violence. Even the Observer this week and talking the Shane and Tully match on January 7th, Meltzer says we received numerous reports ranging that it wasn't bad to the crowd didn't accept it because there's no chair shots. Just got awful with the latter few being uh, the majority. So it just kind of goes on to talk about ECW a little bit more. On July 20th, 1989, uh, this is an interview about Flair and Funk. We don't need that. After a mention of several weeks, Jean-Paul Levesque was having trouble deciding if he wants to stay with WCW or jump. In the end, despite offers of a tag team title reign with Steve Regal, he's left to join the new generation. And yes, history has changed. I was sad to see the Heavenly Bodies job for one to the kid and Bob Holly this weekend, even though it was expected. It looks like the bodies have been wasted in RDF. Cornette will reportedly become the new manager of Mantar, which puts Cornette at the bottom of the managerial ladder, which, of course, will not really hold for long here in 1995. Speaking of generations, we get Raw on TV here late on Friday nights. I was dismayed at the whole William Shatner, Jerry Lawler thing. What's the point of having a 60-plus-year-old actor doing a padded Star Trek flip on a 45-year-old wrestler? Does anyone want to see this? Will it attract new viewers? Is the new generation any different from the old one? Is that what is that tuxedo match about? Watching a great wrestling match like Owen Hart versus Razor Ramon and seeing stuff fill the remainder of the show like this is disconcerting. These are tech war fans, said Shatner. Funniest line of the show. 
Bret Hart is getting a bit of flack in the Calgary press for calling his hockey team the Hitmen because of murderous meaning of the word. Uh, he runs down the Clash lineup. It says David Hasselhoff will be in attendance. Vader will be interviewed regarding Hulk Hogan. Ax, uh, Alex Wright video as well. After his heel turn, Guardian Angel returns to his Big Bubba character. Hogan, Vader at Super Brawl with talk of Savage as the ref. And then Uncensored, a brand new pay-per-view rumored on March 19th with Hogan versus Vader as well. Uh, any thoughts on that batch? Pretty pretty basic after the, the hot ones before it. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, so um, from uh, Ma- Mama Herb, like Mama Herb getting uh, getting the calls right and really being into Shawn Michaels. It's uh, <laughs> she's dialed in. Nothing happening. She's yeah. dialed in. That's funny. Yeah. Um, I didn't think that they would keep doing. I mean, does Vader and Hogan go into that show? No, they don't, right? Or do they? Yeah, the yeah they fight Huntington. uncensored. Oh yeah, that's with Flair and the Dragon and all that shit. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh God, it's so bad. Um. Yeah, but I, I'm sorry. I still can't wrap my head around Dusty uh, being a booker. <laughs> I still can't get over that. Well, no mention of it in that one. Let's see if he brings it up here at our final batch for tonight. Uh, there weren't rumbles, so no real surprises, but did give us a more athletic product than usual, except for Undertaker. Jeff Jarrett won the IC title from Razor Ramon. Diesel retained the title when everyone ran in. Kid and Holly won the tag team titles, and Shawn Michaels won the Royal Rumble to earn a shot at WrestleMania. Here's hoping that Michaels romps the of title and has good workers to shine with. On Raw the day after the show, Kid and Holly lost the belts to the Smoking Guns. Clash of Champions had no surprises. Some of the guys seemed to have their working shoes on, with Avalanche, Hogan, Butcher, and Sullivan at the top of the mix. The main events were poor. Arn Anderson retained his TV title against Johnny B. Bad, and Harlem Heat retained their belts against the Patriots uh, and Marcus Bagwell. Guardian Angel turned heel and said he'd be retiring or returning as this big bubber character. Vader and Hogan had their anticipated showdown and Ric Flair watched. Was it good? Not particularly, but there were some good moments. There was talk of Jim Duggan being history of WCW. First honky, now Duggan progress. Super Brawl. Hogan Vader. Sting and Savage versus Bubba and Avalanche. Sullivan versus Sullivan. Nasty Boys versus Harlem Heat for the tag team titles. Justin Rose versus the Blacktop Bully. Alex Wright versus Paul Roma and Coco Beware versus Tito Santana and possibly a cruiserweight tourney match. What? What is this fucker talking about? Like, I don't, I can never tell if he's joking or not, but he lists it here as a rumored match. So someone's fucking with him, but apparently he thinks we're getting Coco Beware versus Tito Santana as Super Brawl. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, oh I don't God, know what's that. more. I don't know what's more ludicrous. The fact that in 1995, those two were scheduled for a match against each other. Or did their cruiserweights? I, I mean, I'm guessing he's just like hypothesizing. I, I like if maybe he saw that rumor and figured the only way they would do it would be like in that cruiserweight tournament or something. I don't because he puts that in with a question mark. Like maybe this. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't know. Uh, Duggan versus Bunkhouse <laughs> Buck in this match uh, on the advanced lineup. That may have to be changed. Meltzer raging and smart fans talk about Vader shooting on Hogan in the matchup. Uh, it's just he just does a whole thing talking about Meltzer and Meltzer ease about old shoots. Uh, WCW have a pay-per-view uh, called Uncensored on March 19th. Hogan versus Vader for the WCW title. WF has WrestleMania 11 tentative lineup is Diesel versus Shawn Michaels on April 2nd. So that's pretty much all of our herb notes. Nothing really much out of the last couple of buckets there um with that said scott hmm. tim would it surprise you at all if dusty Rhodes had found his way to worm back into the booking committee and taken over things perhaps would have creeped back in 
Mm-hmm. Mm. So Creeping is TLC. Number two song mm-hmm. in the nation this week in 1995 is Creep. Number one still, Boys to Men, on Bended Knee. But that brings us into Scott Frisco's yes. Pop Culture Corner. Uh, thank you, JR. I'm Bended Knee, still doing very well. Uh, ten weeks on the chart. Uh, number one, once again, Creep by TLC at number two. Uh, pretty much the same songs we had from uh, two weeks ago. Another Night by Real McCoy at three. Always by Bon Jovi at four. Take a Bow by Madonna at five. Here comes the Hot Steppa from Inni Kamosi at six. Black Street, Before I Let You Go at seven. I'm the Only One by... Melissa Etheridge at eight. Oh my God. Song I played to death when I was in college. Um, I want to be down by Brandy at eight. I'm sorry, at nine. And Stukiyaki with four p by four PM. I've never even heard of that song. At number ten. No, wasn't that, that was, wasn't PM Dawn who did that? Well, well, maybe they're called four PM now, but that's what it says here. <laughs> Sukiyaki. I, I could be wrong. PM. I thought it was that's like that old. That's a pretty classic song. Oh, no, it is 4 p.m. Again. Why did I thought it was P.M. Dawn that did that? Oh, I would have known. I love P.M. Dawn. But, uh, yeah, this is kind of a weird. Uh, I'm the only one by Melissa Etheridge. I, every bar that I went to my senior year in college had that fucking song like, played over and over again. No, that and then comes to my window. Yeah, I was wrong. I was wrong. Crazy. It is uh, 4 p.m. I don't know why I thought it was P.M. Dawn. Oh. Oh, crazy. You go by uh, wrong. So Captain there's your. <laughs> Uh, so there's, uh, there's your top 10 and Tim, any, any thoughts, anything come to mind? Um, I absolutely loved creep by TLC. Like mm-hmm. that is, that's still a, mm-hmm. a jam that's on my playlists, uh, on Spotify to this day. Um, it's just so good to see them getting a love here, even in 95, looking back now in 2023. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I agree. And of course, Creep by um, Radiohead had just come out, I think, the year before, 93. So. And Creep by right. uh, John DeMarta was to the summer of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, 4 p.m. Yeah, it's definitely not p.m. Dawn. It's, no. a, it's a pretty famous uh, song. It's been covered a lot, but apparently that was the most recent. That's funny. Uh, all right, well, we go from the radio to the uh, theater. Let's see what's going on in movies on this week, January 27th, 1995. At number 10, uh, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, uh, coming off the popular uh, HBO show. Disclosure at number nine. I mentioned that two weeks ago. That's uh, Michael Crichton and prime Hachimachi Demi Moore. Uh, Little Women at number eight. Uh, House Guest at number seven. Murder in the First at number six. Higher Learning. Great, great movie. Higher Learning at number five. Uh, Nobody's Fool at number four. I believe that was Paul Newman. Dumb and Dumber, which was number one two weeks ago, is down Mm -hmm. to three. Highlander, The Final Dimension at number two. And at number one, and I want to say this is early Brad Pitt, Legends of the Fall, which I think was like a fishing movie or something, um, if that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, That was uh, number one for this week. It was one week, made $35 million, and I'm pretty sure it uh, pooped out eventually. 
So not much there. Nothing really off the charts for movies at the beginning of 1995. Uh, we will not take the field, but there were games, I believe, on this week. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, let me look at this quickly. Uh, let's see. The 29th of January, 1995, would be Super Bowl 29, and the San Francisco 49ers would defeat the San Diego Chargers 49 to 26. Uh, an epic game by Steve Young, 325 yards, six touchdown passes, uh, and he won the uh, MVP. So there you go. Uh, in the NBA on this date, we are midway through the 94, 95 season. Let's get a look at the scores on this date. Uh, there were five games on tap. Celtics lost at home to the Clippers, 107, 98. JR, your Hornets lost at home to the Hawks, 103, 96, even though Zoe had a double, double 36 points, 11 rebounds. Lakers won in overtime. They beat the uh, Nets, 120 to 116. So, at this point in the season, the standings are the Magic comfortably ahead in the Atlantic at 33 and 8. Cleveland leads the Central at 25 and 14. The Hornets not doing too bad, 24 and 16, just a game That's and a half out. That's a good season for them. Yeah, very good. Uh, the Jazz leading the Midwest at 30 and 10, five games ahead of the defending world champion Rockets, and the Suns led the Pacific at the 31. The Suns at 31 and 8. And finally, I mentioned two weeks ago that on this uh, this season, the uh, NHL started late because of the first of three work stoppages because Gary Bettman is such a great fucking commissioner. Uh, the season finally started a few days earlier. There were nine games on this date. Uh, JR, our Whalers beat the Senators four to one. Uh, Rangers lost to Pittsburgh three to two. Uh, right out of the gate, nothing crazy. Only each team has only played a few games. So I don't even bother getting into the standings, but the NHL season would only play half a year because of the strike. And actually, uh, if you listen to our show two weeks earlier, uh, two weeks ago, uh, we did uh, Armageddon 08. You remember the epic episode of uh, 90210. Uh, well, since we're kind of in between, uh, there was no show this week. It hmm. was actually an off week. So we uh, we will not have an episode this week because on this week in 1995, uh, there was no episode. So keep the one in your mind from two weeks ago because go back and listen. It was pretty epic. And that is your Pop Culture Corner. Yeah, the Hornets got fucked that year. I think they finished fourth or fifth, but they ended up playing the friggin' Bulls with Jordan um, in his return. When he came back? Yeah. yeah. So they, they lose in the first round after having like a really good season. I was so angry. <laughs> they got so fucked. And then, I know. Um, I know. They had a good team. And then, yeah, I was like, all right, well, Jordan's out losing in the first round. No. All right. Uh, so that's all said. Why don't we go ahead and fast forward and back to the future to kick off a brand new calendar year with Royal Rumble 2009. I see your dirty face high behind your collar. Live January 25th from the Joe Louis Arena in Detroit, Michigan. 16,685 in attendance, 450,000 buys. The 22nd Royal Rumble. 
the eighth pay-per-view Michigan, the sixth in Detroit. The most recent one, of course, is just a couple years before, WrestleMania 23. On December 18th, WrestleMania 24 airs a one-hour special on my network TV. Two days later, on the 20th, WWE aired the sixth annual tribute to the troops from Camp Liberty in Baghdad, Iraq. January 6th, Behind Enemy Lines, Columbia, starring Mr. Kennedy, was released on DVD. Uh, three days later, D'Lo Brown, Val Venus, and Bam Mealy were released. Yes, Val Venus <laughs> released in 2009, and I think he was there consecutively through. Uh, D'Lo had left to come back and never really was on TV, but I think Val, I, I, I don't know, Tim, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he was there, like, still from his first run. <laughs> I don't think he had ever left. I think he might have left shortly because wasn't he a part of the Rumble 03 or 02? The four comebacks. Yeah, but he was hurt. Like I, I, I don't remember. think he had actually left. I think he was in. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Either way, like, I know he wasn't there for a while and then came back. And whether he was, whether he was Chief Morley or he was the big Val Boski or he was Val Venus, uh, just not for me once we got past, like, Kai and Ty bullcrap with right. Val Venus. Yeah, he's, he's still there. So, <laughs> 11 year run for the Valbowski ends uh, here. The next uh, same day on the 9th, Chris Jericho received the Distinguished Alumni Award from Red River College in Winnipeg. On the 10th, Jimmy Corderas, Kevin Thorne, Tim White, Gavin Spears, and Mike Cruel were all released. A pretty big bloodletting here in early 09. Corderas and Tim White both getting the axe. Uh, longtime employees. On January 12th, Mickey James and Gerald Briscoe were involved in two separate car wrecks due to the weather. Up down the roads. The next day, Ooh. Ron Simmons and Sergeant Slaughter were released from their Legends deals. So there you go. They were gone. I guess they're, I don't know if they're working backstage as well. Uh, on January 13th, that same day, Cousin Junior passed away from a heart attack. He was only 48. Oof. Wow. 2009, Cousin Junior. Uh, so he must have been pretty young when he was on TV in the 80s. It must have been in his early 20s. Okay. Uh, another big name is released on the 16th. That is Hardcore Holly. He's gone finally. So they really were cleaning house here uh, in early mm. 09. Um, a lot of deadwood getting cleared out. On that same day, SmackDown Victoria wrestled their last match. Lost to Michelle McCool. She appears at WrestleMania 25, but did not appear again until the uh, 2021 Royal Rumble. So, end of an era with Victoria. On the 119 Raw, CM Punk defeated William Regal to win the IC title, Scott. We talked about that in our last episode. Um, yes. Yep. The few that they would be having. So Punk cashes in, wins the title. So a lot going on, a lot of big releases. I mean, I think we've eulogized most of these people, but obviously Victoria was a big player in the early days of the rebuilt women's division. Um, so kind of sad to see her go, just as the division is getting focused on again. I, I think she probably needed the change. She'd go on to have a pretty good run in TNA, so um, it's not like she just vanishes. Holly, good riddance. Like, he's been annoying, <laughs> done nothing for a while. Um, the refs, obviously, whatever. Kevin Thorne's done nothing. Simmons and Slaughter were punchline gimmicks at this point. So I, I don't think there's any big loss, probably besides Victoria, out of this group here. Mm. Yeah, I mean, well, it's we talked about it two weeks ago, Jr. on at Armageddon that the women's division was still being treated like crap, and um, Victoria was probably like, you know, I've had enough of this bullshit. I'm not going to dress in elf costumes and all that crap. So, and, and you know, she left and, and obviously she would eventually turn up in, uh, in TNA. So, mm -hmm. and have a pretty good run in TNA. Yeah. She has a good run. So, yeah. So I think she, I think at this point she was probably one of the ones that was like, I've kind of had enough of, 
wearing elf suits and all that shit. So this makes perfect sense. Two referees, though. Yeah, one, th- yeah w- one thing I did love about at least this era of WWE and like the years following is while the male superstars would kind of get released in the cloak of darkness and you'd go to WWE.com and you'd get the list of all these guys. We wish them well in their future endeavors. Mm-hmm. WWE did a really good job of allowing the the divas or the women's division to kind of play out their contracts and give them an on-screen farewell. Like I remember Victoria here specifically, but like on down the line when you get to it, the Michelle McCools and the Layla's and, and even Mickey James and her her first farewell. Um, WWE really kind of let the girls see their way out on their own. Right. I I'm I mean I'm guessing it's because they didn't fear them leaving as much. You know what I mean? Like Right. There wasn't really I mean I guess Tandy's women's division was up and running by this point, but I don't think there was like, oh, they're gonna go and, you know, whatever. Make a big thing elsewhere. So I think they just kind of treated them right in the way out. Right. Is what it is. Um, all right. Uh, so all that said, let's dive into the show. 19, uh, 1995, 2009 Royal Rumble, a little bit different than 95, as we'll see. A uh, dark match on uh, Jimmy Wangang take on Paul Birchill. We then get a good opening video for a lot of historical Rumble clips and hype for this year. Let It Rock is our song. We have that blasting throughout. A lot of focus on Randy Orton's psycho attack on the McMahon family. We'll talk about that. Uh, we cold open Michael Cole and the King giving a serious update on Vince's status. It says being kept quiet, but Orton will receive retribution soon from the McMahon family. Tonight, the show will go on. Pretty tough approach, I think, given their history with this type of stuff. But there it is. We open with a serious health update. Uh, Tim, what did you think of the way they kicked us off with the Vince update there? When I got the call that I was going to be doing Rumble 09, I immediately was like, this is the Let It Rock Rumble. And immediately, I'm just giving you guys a heads up now. Every match on this card will receive a plus two star bump just because of Let It Rock. Um, Mm. So fair warning, I'm going to skew high uh, for Kevin Rudolph. Okay, I'm ready for it. That's that's pretty great. Did it bother you guys at all? They did the solemn voice of the Vince stuff? Yeah, like. It feels like they always do this. Like I get that it was a vicious attack and, and this is still the era in which WWE is treating the punt like a super huge mega deal, but like the show must go on. Like as I'm watching it back and we get to that point, I'm literally mouthing the words that Michael Cole is going to say about the show's got to go on, blah, blah, blah. Like, come on. It's, it's a show. We get it. Everything's right. great. But. Right. We did, We could have just wove this into the night. We didn't need to open cold with the serious right. update. All right. Let's kick off the show with our first match, and that is Matt Hardy defending his ECW world title against Jack Swagger. Scott, how do we get to this? And who's Jack Swagger? Who the hell is Jack Swagger? Well, Donald Jacob Hager uh, began wrestling at five years old and continued to wrestle in school while also briefly playing football in high school, and he would join the University of Oklahoma, where he became an All-American in 2006. He would sign with WWE after graduating and completed and competed in Deep South before moving out to OVW in 2007, 
And he would also work dark matches before being relocated to FCW, and he won the Florida Heavyweight Championship. In September of 2008, he would make his TV debut on ECW under the name Jack Swagger, and he would refer to himself as the All-American American. He would feud with Tommy Dreamer, where he defeated him in numerous matches, and he makes his pay-per-view debut here as ECW champion. How did he do that? Well, keep reading. On the 11:25 ECW, Swagger would defeat Dreamer in an Extreme Rules match, and after the match, he cut a promo saying he was done with Dreamer and would go after the ECW title. On the 12:2 ECW, Swagger demanded to be named number one contender, only for Tiffany to come out and say that Ricky Ortiz, <laughs> Jesus, Ricky Ortiz, <laughs> I can't even keep a straight face. Ricky Ortiz should also be considered, as he was undefeated like Swagger, and Swagger would defeat Ortiz, squash that dream, and keep his undefeated streak going. Uh, on the 12-16 ECW, uh, Matt cut a promo on Jeff uh, winning the WWE title at Armageddon, only for Chavo Guerrero to interrupt as he said Edge would be champion again, and he vowed to take the ECW title from Matt, and Matt would defeat Chavo to retain the title. Later that night, Swagger teamed with John Morrison and The Miz to defeat Ortiz, CM Punk, and Kofi Kingston. On the 12-30 ECW, Matt defeated Mark Henry by DQ in a non-title match when Swagger got involved and he gave Matt the gut wrench power bomb. On the 1-6 ECW, Teddy Long announced that Swagger would get a title shot the next week and Swagger would defeat Finley in a match while Matt defeated Henry in the main event. On the 1-13 ECW, Matt cut a promo on Swagger saying he was impressive, though he's never beaten him. And in the main event, Swagger would indeed defeat Matt Hardy in a huge upset and would become the ECW Champion on the 120 episode of ECW, Matt cut a promo on what happened to Jeff on SmackDown, as well as losing the ECW title to Swagger. And he announced he was invoking his rematch at the Rumble as Swagger came out and said he was the new face of ECW with the two men brawling and Swagger would get a cheap shot in. And on the 123 ECW, Matt lost a no DQ match to Edge when Henry and Swagger got involved and they all hit their finishers on Matt. So this newcomer comes in and causes... Uh, some havoc here, JR, and he already has some gold. A lot of chaos in the world of ECW. Yes. yes. All right. Let's get into it. Uh, Matt heads out, and, you know, I mentioned before that he was defending. Of course, he's challenging. First time as a challenger in a while. A good quick come up for Swagger, taking the ECW title, setting himself up as a player. Striker knows that Swagger's undefeated, hypes up big time. The crowd is very into Hardy to start. Feeling out to start with Hardy, uh, staying guarded, sticking and moving to keep Swagger at a distance to avoid getting taken to the mat. Good punches from Hardy in and out of the ring. Swagger eventually baits Hardy in and takes him to the mat, grinds away. Hardy comes back with a low drop kick and a bulldog for two. He's been so good at structuring these matches and keeping the crowd biting. Swagger clobbers Hardy coming off the top and to the floor. He goes back to the arm. Grisham tucks up Swagger's rise up the card. Hardy tries to slug back in, but Swagger kicks him away, goes back to the arm. Hardy keeps trying to push Swagger away, and anytime he gets a gap, he unloads a quick spurt of offense using his one arm, which leads to a unique attack. Swagger goes back with a belly-to-belly for two, tries a super back suplex. Matt fights off and hits a moonsault for a close near fall. The crowd is just ready to pop here. Swagger throws Hardy to the post and finishes him with the gut-wrench power bomb to retain. Good opener. I thought Hardy's so good at building quality matches like this. Sets the tone for the show as well. Swagger did a good job, but you could see Hardy really walking him through it and keeping the crowd in as well with his timing and his natural feel for the match. Uh, really good selling from Hardy. The finish works too. Swagger makes more sense with the belt. Let Hardy move on to something else, as we'll see. Uh, pretty good clean slugfest with a focus attack, Tim. I went three stars on this. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, per the Kevin Rudolph rule, uh, this match is four stars for me. Um, you know, 
it's it's interesting to see um it, this is that era of Matt Hardy where uh physically you you start to really see how limited he can be in the ring but his command over a crowd keeps him in a position where uh he should be uh utilized on television um Jack Swagger I remember being very very high on him when he came uh into the WWE um I feel like they're trying to make him the new version of Sheamus or the first version of Sheamus um where just immediate big impact win a title do something and um but yeah I'm I'm here for this uh, so four stars This should be very interesting uh, aggregate grade here. Uh, I gave it three stars. We talked, JR, about um, Rey Mysterio on the first uh, two weeks ago. And I I, I agree with Tim. Uh, Matt Hardy's kind of in that same class. He's not the Matt Hardy of 10 years earlier. He's not a flyer anymore. So he's changed. And he never really was. Obviously, his brother was the more of that. But still... Uh, Matt could do amazing things, but those days are over. He's got mm-hmm. a lot of knee issues and back issues, so he doesn't wrestle like that anymore. And I mentioned that's the same situation with Rey Mysterio that I mentioned two weeks uh, at our last episode. Uh, having said that, I think you know he he gave Matt a Jack Swagger and he was hitting him pretty good. Uh, you know, hitting him with some grinding shots and uh, Swagger has a pretty good uh, he had a pretty good presence early on. I like the All American American thing and. You know, Jr. loved him obviously because he went to OU. But uh, I, I, uh, I really enjoyed um, uh, seeing them go back and forth and really hitting each other. So I agree with you, Tim, that that Matt doesn't have what he did, but I feel like he adapted and still was able to put on great matches. So uh, I was surprised Swagger kept it, although after watching it a little bit, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, well, let me put it this way. I was surprised at the result, and then later on I'd realized that how it made sense. But nice win for Jack Swagger. Credibility win. What a fun match. Three stars for me. All right, we get footage of Randy Orton arriving earlier, and everyone just kind of watches him nervously. And that brings us to our next match, which features our Divas division, and that is Melina taking on Beth Phoenix for the women's cha- uh, Divas Championship. Or Women's Championship, I should say, not the Divas. Title. Women's Championship. Uh, Scott, what took us here to Mickey? Uh, oh, I'm uh, Melina. <laughs> uh, Melina being our number one contender. Yes, Mickey was in a car accident. On the 11:24 Raw, Melina made her return from injury to team with Mickey James and Candice Michelle to defeat Phoenix, Jillian Hall, and Kitty Lee Burchill in a six-woman tag. On the 12:1 Raw, Melina defeated Hall in a match while Phoenix and Morella watched. And Morella came out and said that Melina didn't have what it takes to defeat Phoenix as he attempted to do Melina's entrance, though failed miserably. On the 128 Raw, I'm sorry, the 12-8 Raw, uh, Melina would present Phoenix with the Diva of the Year Slammy, and the two brawled with Santino getting involved, and he would suffer a low blow. On the 12-15 Raw, uh, a fan at ringside wanted a picture with Phoenix, who accepted as she made Morella take the picture, and Melina and Kelly Kelly defeated Phoenix and Hall in a tag match. On the 12-29 Raw, Melina uh, won a battle royal to earn a title shot at the Rumble as Phoenix and Santino did commentary and Melina and Phoenix brawled until the fan, who was identified as Rosa Mendez, Hmm. went after Melina until security pulled her away. Hmm, Rosa Mendez. On the 1-5 Raw, Melina and Goldust defeated Phoenix and Santino in a mixed tag. And after the match, Melina again brawled with Mendez, 
who was sitting at ringside until security took her away. On the 112 Raw, Molina and Kelly were set to face Phoenix and Hall in a tag match only for Mendez, who was disguised as one of the paparazzi, attacked Molina before the match. Phoenix and Hall would beat Molina and Kelly down as Phoenix took one of the cameras and held Molina up while taking pictures. And finally, on the 119 Raw, Molina defeated Hall in a match where Phoenix, Santino, and Mendez watched from ringside, and Phoenix and Mendez attacked Molina after the match with Phoenix giving her the glam slam. So kind of another debut Mm -hmm. here, Uh, Rosa Mendez. Talk more about her down the line. Melina stalks out back at her top slot as challenger, reigniting the past rivalry, becoming one of the top players in the rebuilt division. Uh, Beth's aura is on point, even with Santino lagging along behind her. Just a great duo. Beth controls Melina early with a power grip. Melina comes struggling back and gets a tilt-a-whirl into an armbar. Pretty good strategy. She tries to limit the strength of Beth, uh, but Beth deadlifts her through the hold and flings her off. Melina gets on Beth's shoulders, but Beth flips her to the mat with ease. Beth batters Melina, wrenches her leg and ankle, and actually presses it all the way to Melina's head and beats her with her own foot, which is an all-time spot. Uh, it's a pretty infamous yes. one and some insane flexibility. Beth catches a charging Melina with a side suplex, keeps the pressure on. Beth sits Melina on the middle rope. Deadlift Gorilla presses her out, but Melina slips down as a jawbreaker. Melina tries to avoid the grasp and sneaks in some pin attempts and barrels into Beth whenever she gets compromised. She gets two on a bulldog. Beth shoves Melina violently to the corner, but Melina gets a Thez press off the middle ropes. Beth ducks her finish, but Melina gets a flash roll up out of the glam slam and gets the upset win to win the women's title in her return. Fun match with a little clunky at times. Melina seemed a little rusty, but it was entertaining. Melina is trying to land shots however she could and avoid the big bomb. In the end, she finds a way to sneak out uh, the win on the biggest one and nab the title. Uh, the foot beating, of course, is all time as well. Uh, really good spot, Scott. So I'm on two and three quarters. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good match, a pretty good moment as well as Melina wins. And we get the all-time spot mixed in as well. So pretty uh, important little match here. Uh, I laugh my ass off on the foot spot. I totally forgot about that. That foot spot's pretty great. Uh, your match time, uh, 5.56. The uh, Swagger Hardy match time was 10.27. Uh, I gave it two and a half. I was actually very stunned that Molina actually won this match. I had no clue. I thought, I mean, they were just beating the snot out of uh, her week after week. So I was, I was legitimately, uh, I was legitimately stunned that uh, uh, that she won the match. Um, Beth had been on a roll. Uh, I think she'd been on a legitimate tear as champion and uh, was taking everybody out. So I didn't think she was going to be the one to do it, but big win, Tim. Fun little match. You know, Melina did all the bumping. She did miss a move here and there. She was still a little rusty, but she, it seemed like they were the she was the one they wanted to put the belt on. So a big upset and a solid match. Yeah, I thought so, too. Um, I gave it two until I remembered what the theme of the show was. So it's a, <laughs> it's a four-star match for me. Um <laughs> This this is the this is the uh, first time I remember the flexibility spot, so I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. But I know that this becomes a crutch throughout the remainder of like Molina's WWE career, mm. and then it becomes mm-hmm. a crutch for literally every other woman for the next three years. Where like if you're flexible, you're gonna kick yourself in the head. But this is this is like the birth of it. So it was like ah. Okay, origin spot. This was really cool. Um, I can agree with the shock and awe of Melina actually winning the women's championship here, but like she's their 
I would say their biggest female face. Mm-hmm. Um, coming back oh, her to Mickey. having her. Yeah. 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 So, especially with Melina now on the comeback too, making that debut and, and making it a, a big deal. Uh, it, it makes sense. Um, it's always good to see, uh, be reminded of Glamorella as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Beth Phoenix being accompanied by Santino uh, was mm-hmm. uh, always a good pairing uh, in my eyes. All right. Cole and King reset us before a world title match, which will be coming up in a moment. We get a video package for John Cena taking on JBL. Backstage, JBL tells Shawn Michaels that if he helps him win the world title tonight, he'll release him from his contract and pay him the remainder of the money owed right on the spot. And he'll also get him a spot in a Royal Rumble match so he can win and go to WrestleMania in his home state. An easy decision lies ahead for him. Shawn gives a little smile, but when he goes to leave, Undertaker's there and says, sometimes it's hell getting to heaven. JBL beckons Sean, and we head off to our match, which is for the world title. John Cena taking on John Bradshaw Layfield. Scott, how did JBL find himself into a big-time title match here? Uh, I have no fucking clue. No. Uh, on the on the 12-8 Raw, Michaels was set to face JBL in a street fight when JBL revealed that Michaels has lost all of his money, and he was offering him a job, and he said Michaels can continue wrestling into his 50s and 60s while shilling DX merch or he can work for him and make sure his family is secure. Michael teased hitting him, and JBL said the offer would be gone if he did, as Michael simply walked away, and JBL said he was looking forward to doing business together. On the 12-15 Raw, Stephanie McMahon announced that there would be a tournament featuring former world champions, and they would face off in qualifying matches with the winners facing off in a fatal four-way to see who would face John Cena at the Royal Rumble. On the 12-22 Raw, Michaels defeated Kane, JBL defeated Rey Mysterio, Randy Orton defeated Batista, and Chris Jericho defeated CM Punk to qualify for the four-way. On the 12-29 Raw, JBL, Michaels, Orton, and Jericho faced off in the fatal four-way, with Michaels eliminating Jericho and Orton, but then he would allow JBL to pin him, and JBL became the number one contender. On the 1-5 Raw, Jericho and Orton opened the show saying they were filing complaint over what happened last week with JBL and Michaels appearing on the stage, and Michaels said he took satisfaction in keeping Jericho and Orton from getting the title shot. Stephanie would come out and declare the decision as he announced as she announced Orton and Jericho for the Rumble and JBL declared that Michaels wouldn't compete in the Rumble as his job was to be in his corner for the title match. In the main event that night, Michaels and Cena defeated Orton and Jericho in a tag match. On the 112 Raw, JBL told Michaels that he was fighting for his paycheck in his match that night and in the main event, Michaels defeated Cena in a non-title match after a distraction from JBL who stood over Cena after the match. And on the 119 Raw, The two men signed the contract for the match as JBL said he hired Michaels so he could be champion again. And Cena said Michaels shouldn't be uh, remember as the man shouldn't be remembered as the man who helped JBL become champion. And Michael said while he despised what he had become, he would continue to do it for his family. Cena said Michaels would have a choice to make it the rumble as JBL knocked Cena down and hit the clothesline from hell before heading to the back with Michaels. So as much as I wasn't a big fan of this storyline, I mentioned it. Uh, on our last show, the week-to-week story actually was pretty good. Told you. Yeah. All right. Be, <laughs> Let's head to the ring. Uh, one of our big feuds from 08 is reunited, uh, reignited. As JBL again finds his way into a match with John Cena, who stabilizes champion. We get the Michael stuff hanging over this, the bitter employee. Uh, the story is, again, really more around JBL and Michaels than Cena. It's just kind of incidental here. Sean is stoic with JBL. Cena gets his usual mixed reaction. 
JBL cranks the side headlock, gets us going. The crowd is buzzing as Sean just stands staring at the action. King says him being out there is a distraction for Cena. Cena makes a big quick comeback, and JBL bails outside to regroup and consult with Sean. Just stands there as JBL talks. JBL's back and slugging away. Cena overwhelms him with a bulldog into a flurry of offense for near falls. JBL uses Sean as a distraction. He hits Cena from behind, takes over with some more brawling, just unloading strikes and clotheslines to the barrage into a chin lock. JBL pours it on outside and back in the ring. Cena blocks a superplex, knocks JBL to the mat. It's a top rope leg drop. Cena takes down JBL on a charge. He hits him in the back and neck and heats up in his closing offense. The booze are pouring down. JBL elbows out of an FU, but Cena takes him down and hooks an STF. Michaels gives enough of a distraction that allows JBL to kick out. Knocks Cena outside. Cena's not happy with Sean. Cena survives a clothesline from hell, but then knocks the ref down by accident. He collides and collapses with JBL. Sean gets on the apron. He gets in the ring and tunes up the band. But instead, he crushes JBL with Sweet Chin Music to Big Pop. Cena's all smiles. He kind of gives like a proud dad look to Sean. But then Sean just crushes Cena with Sweet Chin Music as well. He stands over both of them and puts JBL on top and walks off stoically. We get a new ref, but Cena kicks out. Both men pop up. Cena ducks a clothesline from hell and hits an FU for the win. I thought the match was pretty standard. A lot of brawling and slower pace. Uh, the best parts were Sean's antics and his pathos at ringside. He's the most over guy in the match, easily. Uh, Cena heads to Mania as champion. We'll see if Sean did enough to escape his deal with the devil. I'm guessing JBL is going to renege on what, uh, since he didn't win, even though Sean did all he could to help him win. It's fine. It's just limited. JBL is obviously kind of breaking down at this point, And Cena is only going to be able to carry him so much. So, Tim, two and three quarters. Again, this to me was more about the storyline, which I thought delivered. The in-ring was a bit meh. Yeah, I, I thought the match, I think this was about as good as you're going to get from JBL at this era. Um, it felt very weird kind of seeing him. Uh, if you guys remember like the movie Master of Disguise, where um, the the guy, main guy's in the turtle suit, that's what I looked like when I saw JBL with his big <laughs> chest and torso. But then just this little head sticking up out of that little neck. Um, but Shawn Michaels absolutely makes the, the performance in the match. I would have loved to have seen more from this this storyline. Honestly, I was I was a big fan of the hard times Shawn Michaels having to to uh, saddle up to Mr. Moneybags uh, JBL. Um, I thought the match was good, three stars. But then I remembered we're in the Tokyo Dome at the Joe Louis Arena, played by Kevin Rudolph. So this is a five star match. Um, I, I did like the the finish coming out of nowhere, where JBL is looking for that clothesline from hell. Um, and then Cena ducking and catching him out of nowhere with the FU uh, for the victory. Uh, Scott, what do you got? Uh, I gave this match two and a half. Uh, uh, 15-29, your match time. Uh, honestly, if it wasn't for the Sean stuff, um, I, I, this match absolutely sucked. <laughs> I did not like it at all. I mean, yeah. I gave it two and a half as, as kind of a courtesy. Because Cena's good, but JBL just doesn't have it anymore. He's just not it. And he's just so um uh just out of out of sorts. I don't know. I, I know this is kind of a holdover for Cena to be champion, and it's really more advancing the JBL Sean storyline more than anything else, but the match is just not good. It's not good. And two and a half is being is being generous. Uh, but it, 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 it went along a very slow plotting, like heavy pace. I mean, it's a far cry from their feud four years earlier, 
um, you know, with that killer I quit match and just they're just it's just not the same. And the match is more just to advance the JBL Sean stuff, uh, which is fine. But uh, and and I have enjoyed seeing him in this late 08, early 09 run. He's much more aggressive. But uh, this match is I mean, it's not a dud or anything, but it's it's two and a half is being generous. It, it's it, it didn't hit anything for me. And I felt it was just there to be a Rumble title match and to advance the JBL Sean stuff. But other than that, it didn't it didn't do much for me. Yeah, uh, like we said, the Sean part was definitely definitely the best. I mean, Cena, it'd be interesting where he ends up because right now he doesn't really seem to have a feud after the Jericho stuff. See where it plays out. Um, I like JBL, his delivery in this feud. He's like kind of went away from being bombastic to being like quiet and stoic and just like a dick. <laughs> like Bob Cratchit. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, not Bob Cratchit. <laughs> <laughs> Sean's, Sean's just Cratchit. Sean's Bob Cratchit pretty much at this, yeah, in yeah. this story. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like that weird like delivery he gives. Like every now all of a sudden he's just like a man of few words after being this like Falcon Leghorn for a decade. But all right, Taz and JR, thank you, boy. Kevin Rudolph, uh, Tim, who's that? <laughs> I, I think uh, Kevin Rudolph is like the um, Tokyo Dome for you. It's your Melser bumping everything. Mm. We get a video package for our Very next match, so. which is for the WWE title, and that is Jeff Hardy defending against Edge, Scott. So how do we get back to Edge getting yet another title match here? Well, on the 12-19 uh, SmackDown, uh, Jeff held a championship celebration, which Edge interrupted. As he said, Jeff got lucky becoming champion while he got there by hard work. And Edge denied attacking Jeff in the stairwell as he was already better than Jeff and called him a screw up, which led Jeff to give him the twist of fate. In the main event, Jeff defeated Vladimir Kozlov in a non-title match by DQ when Edge got involved. And Triple H would make the save as he brawled with Kozlov and Jeff gave Edge the swanton bomb. On the 12-26 SmackDown, Edge complained to Vicky Guerrero that Jeff as champion was a disgrace as Big Show came in and offered to take Jeff out in exchange for a title shot, which Vicky agreed to, much to Edge's chagrin. She told him that if Show beat Jeff, he would face Edge the next week to determine the number one contender, and in the main event, Jeff defeated Show by countout. On the 1-2 SmackDown, it was announced Edge would face Jeff at the Rumble for the title, and in the main event, the Hardys defeated Edge and Show in a tag match when Show walked out. On the 1-9 uh, SmackDown. It was announced that Jeff and his fiance Beth were involved in a car accident the night before, and we saw footage from earlier in the day of Edge talking about the accident, and he said he felt bad for Jeff. Jeff then gave an interview via satellite as he said they were coming back from a party when they were run off the road. On the 116 SmackDown, Edge hosted the Cutting Edge as he revealed the title match at the Rumble would be no DQ, and he brought Jeff out as his guest. But as Jeff was making his entrance, his pyro would go haywire, and Jeff was scorched by the pyro, which led to him being taken out on a stretcher. And on the 123 SmackDown, it was revealed that the incident with the pyro was a result of foul play, as Edge denied being responsible for that, and all of Jeff's recent incidents, and he vowed to become champion again as Matt ran down to the ring and brawled with Edge. Later that night, Edge defeated Matt in a no-DQ match when Mark Henry and Jack Swagger got involved. Uh, very detailed, very in-depth, step-by-step build to get us to this point. All right. Long-running feud. Uh, takes another turn as Hardy's finally champion, battling a string of random attacks at home in the arena. Like you mentioned, Scott, 
but he keeps persevering and blaming Edge for what's going on. Hardy gets a pop as always. He charges out. Vicky comes out looking uh, some, some rough hair uh, styles here tonight for her. Uh, makes the match a notice qualification. Brings out Edge, who has Chavo Guerrero with him. Jeff attacks at the bell, pours it on, takes all his recent anger out on his rival. Edge tries to bail out and slow down the attack, but Hardy chases him around. Grabs a chair, but Edge nails him with a punch and a boot. Hardy comes roaring back as the crowd keeps cheering him on, battering the back, cutting a fast, angered pace. Hardy kicks Edge outside and hits a running close on off the apron, tries to go to the air again, but this time Edge cuts him down thanks to help from Chavo. Edge beats on Hardy on ringside, uses the announce table for throwing him back in the ring. Hardy gets a couple of flash comebacks, but Edge pushes through, keeps on the methodical attack. Hardy hits an enziguri, heads up top, and Edge drop kicks him as he comes down. Edge grabs two chairs, but Hardy drop kicks him off the apron, meets him with a plancha. And then it's a twist of fate on the apron, on the edge of the apron, and they both tumble back to the floor. Hardy pulls the ladder out from under the ring, puts Edge on the table and scales back, but Chavo blocks him. So Hardy dives off onto him instead. Hardy shoves Edge into the post. He wipes out Chavo, puts him back on the table, flies through him off the ladder to a pop. Edge fights off Hardy back in the ring. Hardy catches a whisper in the wind for two. Edge slips out of a twist of fate, hits an impaler for two. Hardy comes back with an inside cradle for two. Edge counters a slinging DDT, catches him, and then spikes him off the exposed turnbuckle for an air fall. Hardy counters the spear to a twist of fate, crawls to the top. Out comes Vicky, hooks his leg. Hardy kicks down Vicky and hits a swanton, but he's slow to cover, and Vicky stops the count. In comes Matt Hardy. He throws Vicky down in the ring, hands Jeff a chair, but stops him. Takes a second chair, he turns, and smashes his brother in the head to booze. Edge covers and wins the title, ending Hardy's short reign after his long climb. And that is that. Uh, as a good match, it was a little slow at first, but early ramped up into the plunder, uh, as usual for Edge. Good use of Chavo here, too, playing off Jeff's misplaced anger and his style. Ross talks about how he was struggling to focus. Tough to see Jeff's reign end already, but it looks like we have a new feud with Matt breaking bad and turning on his brother. Uh, we'll see where that goes. I went three and a half stars, Scott. I like the match. What do you think about Jeff losing already, though? Uh, um, if this was strictly to create a Matt Jeff feud, then this is, I think this was a bad idea. Um, this is obviously, I think the whole point is, I think they, they're trying to get you to think that this has nothing to do with, uh, Jeff's inability to be champion and more to do with, um, uh, a Matt Jeff feud. Right. Which, to be honest with you, I think is is a bad idea. I think I think Matt, I think Jeff should have been able to hold on to this belt for a while, but obviously this specific championship is going another way. I think that's the problem. Uh, they they know what they want to do. Um, in a couple of months in Houston, but I still think this was probably. He should have had one more month. I would have at least let him wrestle in the chamber, which we'll talk about, obviously, in a couple weeks. Um, I would have let him go another month. I would have let him go another month at least. Uh, I get you want to build this and build this, but listen, you have no you have no pay-per-view between No Way Out and WrestleMania. You've got six weeks to build the Matt and Jeff thing. I don't know why you had to do it now. Um, I would have waited a month and let Jeff have the title for another month. Um, having said that, the match was fine. It was really good. Um, I gave it, uh, let's see. But I, I just feel like there was no need to rush it. There was no need to rush it. Three and a quarter and your length. 
was uh, uh, 1923. So once again, not counting the Rumble, the longest match of the night. Uh, but a, a fun match. But I would have definitely not had Jeff lose here. Um, right now, they're in a weird place. And, and I think we'll talk more about it when we get to the end of the show. But WWF right now is in a weird spot, WWE, because they need to flip the belts over and you have other things going on and uh, you have specific matches you need to get to. And unfortunately it almost seems like Jeff's in the way, which kind of sucks, but that seems to be what it feels like Tim. But having said that, it's a great match. Uh, Edge is a great champion. He's a good heel. He's just as big an asshole as like JBL is, but I would have let Jeff hold it another month. I would have figured something else out here. Yeah, I totally agree with with the amount of like actual storyline stuff that they had for this. I feel like this single-handedly built Jeff's legacy as being like a top main event guy. I thought that the pyro explosion on himself and the car accident and all of this was split up over a much larger period of time for Jeff. Mm. But to know that it all came within this window of winning the title and then losing the title, it really adds to the mystique of Jeff Hardy and what could have been Jeff Hardy's main event run. Um, I gave this match uh, three and a half stars, which puts it to five and a half stars thanks to Kevin Rudolph. But there is the Chavo Guerrero factor, which makes it lose a star. So this isn't four and a half. Um, I thought <laughs> this math. was. I thought. Yes, too much math. Four and a half is the number. Um, but I I did enjoy this match. Um, I couldn't agree more with uh, Scott. I really would have loved to see Jeff hold this title until Elimination Chamber, especially if you're going to have Matt still be the foil. You put Matt in the Elimination Chamber and you do the exact same thing. You don't have to do it at the and then you know, put Jeff in the elimination chamber anyways and not come out on top. Um, you, you can still get all of it. You get more milk out of the, the angle and it doesn't feel so horribly rushed. Um, but yeah, that's just uh, my two cents on it. Yeah. It, it didn't bother me too much because I think like so many great face champions for me, the, Hardy on the chase and finally winning was what we needed. He was never going to be someone that had like this long run. So if he's going to lose, I'm okay with the kicking off a big story arc. And I think having Matt be revealed and turned here, maybe meant more than where it gets lost in the chamber where there's a lot going on. Um, and the fact that we've been playing this, like, do we really have another month of like mysterious attacks in the tank uh, to get us there? I'm not sure. Like they've been doing this since survivor series. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe you could have squeezed another three weeks out of it. And the good thing is that the Cardi's established, right? Because they go back to him. So we're not done. So that's good. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it plays out and how it feels. But I'm, I think I'm a kind of okay biggest, with it being short. Yeah, I think my bigger gripe with it, though, JT, is that it's Jeff's first defense. Right. Yeah. Um, they had mentioned, like, it's been 40-some days since Jeff won the title at, at Armageddon. Right. And this is his first defense. You, you kind of, I get him being an underdog-esque type character where 
the money is always in the chase for Jeff. But even if he went, if he retains by DQ, and then it, maybe you you pay off something on like an episode of SmackDown, which they've done before, where you know you get the Edge Jeff return bout on an episode of SmackDown between the Rumble and Elimination Chamber. And that may be where you do the mat stuff. Like, just I think the miss might have been more. I think the miss might have been not having Hardy win at Survivor Series. I, I think that right. might have been. We talked about it in Armageddon, Scott, and we kind of said like, "Well, who mm-hmm. cares what show?" But like, I think then maybe like, that that match is such a throwaway. It's awful with Kozlov, like all that stuff. Like, I think maybe right. if you just have Jeff do it there, like he when Vicky comes, and says, he's here. Like maybe it's edge and then Hardy too. I don't know. Maybe you figure some way around it. And Hardy gets his moment at that show. And then Tim, you get your defense at Armageddon. Um, you get the attacks and like, you still build here. And now you get the extra month you're looking for. Right. Correct. Yep. Mm. All right. Todd Grisham talks to Randy Orton about the rumors of McMahon family legal action. Orton says he hasn't heard anything. And as he know, far as he knows, he's still in the rumble match. Chris Jericho comes in. He throws Grisham out and says, everyone's vilifying Orton, but Jericho doesn't blame him as a creative genius. Vince didn't even show up. He's just a pandering drone. They gave into his daughter. The real Mr. McMahon's already dead. Anyway, Orton says he won't lower his guard or feel better because Jericho Jericho says he's an honest man. He may not have much more of a chance to talk to Orton as McMahon's eventual people. And tonight could be the final night of employment in WWE for Randy Orton. We then get our by the numbers video for the Rumble match, which is always uh, a great addition to the show. Always hits well. Uh, Scott, any notes you want to cover? Actually, looks looks like there's a lot. You want to get into some of these? You can probably save the stats maybe for the end. You just want to get into the other stuff. Yeah, let me uh, let me get down all the way. Uh, get down here. Okay. Uh, all right. We last saw uh, Nick Nemeth on pay-per-view back at the 2006 Survivor Series as part of the Spirit Squad. And he would return to OVW and form the Frat Pack with Mike Mondo before being transitioned to FCW in August of 2007. He would win the tag titles and work dark matches before making his return to TV in September under the new name Dolph Ziggler. And he would make his first appearances introducing himself to various superstars and makes his return to pay-per-view here and would become the bane of Pete Winston's existence for the next 13 years. Uh, this is Rob Van Dam's surprise return to pay-per-view. My God, RVD? Yes, he would come back. He was last here at One Night Stand 2007, but this would be his RVD. last pay- <laughs> But uh, yep, But it would be his last pay-per-view until 2013. On the 1215 Raw, Chris Jericho was set to face Hacksaw Jim Duggan in a match, though he came out in a suit, refused to compete, as he said he had carried the show all year, and he said he wouldn't wrestle again unless it was a title shot or against a worthy competitor. In the main event, John Cena and Batista defeated Orton, Rhodes, and Manu by DQ in a handicap match when he punted Batista in the head, and this would put Batista out of action for four months. Uh, In reality, uh, I believe Batista was getting surgery on a hamstring, I think, or a quad, something like that. Um, so the punt was ca- totally kayfabe, obviously. Uh, let's see. Um, on the 1222 Raw, Sim Snuka, the former deuce, told Orton that he would be a viable asset to the group, and Orton implied that they might need a new member as he looked at Manu. Uh-oh. On the 1229 Raw, Orton officially coined his group Legacy, as he said that he wouldn't tolerate losers, and anyone who lost their match would be out, and, uh... Rhodes defeated Punk and Snook defeated Charlie Haas, though Manu lost to Matt Hardy. 
On the 1-5 Raw, Orton told Rhodes and Snuka that if they won their tag match, they would officially be part of Legacy, as Manu pleaded for a second chance and Orton refused, and Rhodes and Snuka would defeat Crime Time, only for Orton to say that Rhodes was in, but Snuka was not. Later that night, Jericho confronted Stephanie and told her he sent his protest to Vince McMahon, who would be on Raw in two weeks. On the 112 Raw, Stephanie talked about Vince coming back the next week as Jericho interrupted her and said she was scared of Vince's return as he would right her wrongs. And she said that he had a match that night, though Jericho said he wouldn't wrestle unless it was a title shot. Stephanie told him he was out of the Rumble and would no longer get title shots as he said that what she said didn't matter. And she would then fire Jericho and had him escorted from the building. Throughout the night, we would get highlights of Vince's career, including his time as a commentator, as well as the various firings over the years. Later that night, Snuka and Manu told Rhodes they had bought, brought someone in and they would get Orton that night as Rhodes had to choose whose side to be on. And after Orton's match with Kane, Snuka and Manu brought out the returning Ted DiBiase as they surrounded Orton and Rhodes. But this was revealed to be a ruse as DiBiase and Orton and wrote, joined Orton and Rhodes and beating Snuka and Manu down. On the 119 Raw, Orton confronted Stephanie about her meeting with Snuka and Manu as she assured him he wouldn't be fired, and he said she would be nothing without the McMahon name, and she would slap him in the face. At the end of the night, Vince made his first appearance since the Million Dollar Mania incident as he brought Jericho and Stephanie out, and he said that Stephanie wouldn't be fired, and he instead would run Raw with her. Stephanie then demanded Jericho apologize to her and the fans to get his job back, and after some hesitancy, he would do so, and she would rehire him as well as put him back in the Rumble as Jericho left, Orton came out and demanded Stephanie apologize for slapping him in the face. And he said he was more valuable to her than her and she was worthless. Vince had Stephanie leave and confronted Orton as he demanded he apologize or risk getting fired. As Orton warned Vince, he didn't want to go there. And as Vince was about to fire him, Orton would slap him in the face, kick him to the mat and punt him in the head. Punted Vince. Stephanie would come back out and check on Vince as EMTs came out with a stretcher, while DiBiase and Rhodes escorted Orton to the back. What a story. Up, down, and all around. Yep, that's a lot, uh, leading, <laughs> leading us into here, for sure. Yes. Um, but it's yes, definitely it the dominant story of the match, both the legacy yes. part and the uh, Vince stuff with Orton. So that's, that's our through line, for sure, through this. Uh, the crowd hyped, as always, for the Rumble, big stakes on the line. A lot of stars in the field, multiple stories. Rey Mysterio was number one. He heads out to a pop, trying to recreate his magic from three years ago. John Morrison is number two. They have a quick flurry and some teases till Carlito comes out at three. Carlito goes at both guys. He spits an apple at Morrison, uh, busts out a sweet triple jump moonsault. So he looks a little motivated here tonight. MVP is number four. He's looking to get on a roll again after finally breaking his losing streak. The crowd is into him as he wipes out everyone. All four uh, go through some offense and some teases. Pretty clean start so far. Great Kali is in at number five. He clubs and swats away at anyone who comes near him. Vladimir Kozlov is six. He goes right at Kali. They battle like two Rams. Kozlov knocks Kali out with an awkward clothesline and then strikes uh, away at everyone else. Dumps MVP to booze. Wrecks Carlito with a spine buster. Throws him out. Triple H is in at number seven to a big pop. He goes right at Vlad. They slug it out until Triple H is a face breaker and chucks him after a crotch chop. So quick night for Vlad, despite the dominant start. We reset with Hunter, John Morrison, and Ray until Randy Orton's in at eight. A lot of heavy hitters early on in this one. Orton has murder in his eyes as he gets in the ring, goes right at Triple H. Really good aura around Orton. 
Crime time is in at nine. They flip a coin. JTG wins, so he gets a slot. But Shad realizes it's a double-sided con and just kind of laughs as he leaves. Pretty good action in the ring. Not usual laying around. Everyone's busting out some crisp offense. They're laying in some strikes. Ted DiBiase is number 10. Ross wonders how he'll interact with Orton as he comes in firing. We get a double skin the cat with JTG and Morrison. They both hang on and get back in. And then we get the same spot on the other side with Ray and DiBiase. They both survive too. Pretty cool spot there. Uh, Jericho is in at number 11. Some more big names early. He goes right at Orton. Almost throws him out. The ring is starting to fill back up as Mike Knox is 12. He kicks Ray in the head as he comes in. A lot of hard strikes and shifting around the ring as we settle into formula. Miz is 13. He gets a flurry in. Helps his partner, the double-team Orton, until DiBiase makes a save. Orton heats up at his three RKOs before Hunter hits him with a pedigree. He throws Morrison into Miz. They both fly out together on a nice bump. Mysterio gets knocked over the top, but he walks across Miz and Morrison and gets back in. Finley is 14. He gets some uh, heavy strikes right away. Cody is 15. He syncs up with Orton and DiBiase. They start to gang attack Hunter and then Finley as well. Some smart strategy. Uh, So, Tim, what did you think of the first half of the match here through number 15? The first half... First half was really good. I was surprised to see the pacing of the Rumble where we get a lot of the major stars, the major players of the Rumble coming in in very early numbers where you have that series of Triple H and Orton and then Jericho coming in a few numbers later. Um, I really enjoyed the Kozlov bit with um, the great Kali and really kind of reestablishing Kozlov as possibly being something of a, of a threat um, in the Rumble, like kind of a mini diesel push, but not to the same extent. Um, but it, as far as the middle of the Rumble goes, I thought it was it was really good. Everything started to line up uh, a bit too much to the well for Rey Mysterio, kind of always getting put into that early number slot. But it always works for him. He does really well in these Rumble appearances. What do you think, Scott, the first half? I was uh, I was stunned that I saw Orton and Triple H back to back that early. Mm-hmm. That that was that that made me think that they're probably going to be the last two guys, uh, because I think whenever you see guys like that enter that early, um, you know that they're probably going to be there for the long haul. So uh, that also meant that we'd probably get a lot of eliminations on the back end. So I think that depends on your point of view. But uh, um I was kind of stunned that was, I think that's the one thing I got out of this was seeing uh, triple H and Orton pretty much back to back, which was kind of crazy. But again, um, it's, uh, um, it's a a chance to see these guys go of long distance. One of them are going to win. I think you, I think it's safe to say they're probably the two favorites. So I was kind of, I was shocked by that. Very different approach to take to the rumble with like the main players. Right. So. All right. Ray flies off the top rope Orton steps in and snaps him down with an RKO out of midair. The lights dip down at 16. As we get another big hitter, the undertaker drifts down to the ring to a big pop. He cleans house with strikes. He throws out JTG gold dust to 17. King calls him the skeleton in his family's closet. Cody stops his brother from attacking DiBiase and Goldust smacks him and almost throws him out. Goldust almost dumps him a second time. And finally Orton's had enough. He takes him down with an RKO. He calls Cody over and tells him to end his brother's night. So Cody throws him out. Pretty good storytelling there. Punk is in at 18. He unloads a flurry of kicks and strikes on whoever gets in his way. Hunter tries a pedigree, but Punk slips out and hits a GTS. 
Legacy team up and beat on Jericho in the corner, but they can't finish him off. Mark Henry is out at 19. He wrecks house with slams and punches as the ring really fills up. Shelton Benjamin is 20, throws some fists at Jericho and Punk. Fight on the top rope, uh, but Bullets survive. Lots of elimination teases, but nobody's knocked out. William Regal is 21. He goes right after Punk, his old rival. He throws him around the ring. Henry tumbles out as Ray hooks the top rope down, but we only see it on the replay. Legacy continues to gang up on Hunter as Kofi Kingston is 22. Taker's bleeding as bodies fly around him. Clean visual of the ring with a cool variety of talent now. Taker slams Shelton down. He flings him out. Kane is in at 23. Eventually he has a stare down with his brother. They start to work together by double choke slamming DiBiase. Taker and Kane continue to work together to clean house as Punk knocks Regal out to continue to own that feud. R-Truth is in at 24. He has a scrum with Hunter. We get a surprise at 25, and that is Rob Van Dam making his return to a big pop. RVD flies into Kane off the top, and most of everyone has a crowd chance for him. The Brian Kendrick is 26. He eliminates Kofi right away, but Hunter grabs him and throws him right out. Pretty sad showing after a strong end of 08 for Kendrick. Dolph Ziggler is 27, mainly silence as he tries to shake hands with Kane. Kane just grabs him and throws him right out. The ring is pretty full still down the stretch. Antino Morella is 28, and he sets a new record. As soon as he gets in, Kane knocks him back out. So that's an infamous moment there. That gets played uh, quite a bit in future packages. We get three, uh, three straight quick cleanouts as the crowd loves Santino getting crushed. Another surprise at 29 is Jim Duggan is in. Gets a nice pop. He throws some heavy fists at everyone, including a cool slugfest on Taker, who sells big time for him. Pretty nice moment. Ray's in at 45 uh, minutes now as the ring is packed as Big Show lumbers out at number 30. Taker steps to Big Show, but Kane attacks on his brother's behalf. And then Duggan comes in. He's throwing bombs at Show. Show shrugs him off and dumps him out. Taker almost dumps Punk, but he holds on, and we still have a lot of bodies left. Pretty different booking with so many guys left here at the end. Show press slams R-Truth out. Taker almost dumps out Cody, but he hangs on again. Show tries to throw out Punk three times, but he keeps hanging on until Show just cracks up with the right hand to end his night. Show dumps Ray and Mike Knox together as Hornswoggle comes out to help his dad against Kane. He runs away as Kane dumps Finley moments later. Pretty soft showing for Ray despite 49 minutes. Uh, really not much out of him here at all as it goes along. We still get some heavy hitters left to get the final nine. Orton hits a DDT on Hunter as Taker and Show slug it out. RVD hits a frog splash on Orton, but Jericho grabs him and throws him out to booze. Jericho's all laughs until he realizes Undertaker standing over him in a fantastic camera shot. Jericho hits a code breaker on Taker. Taker hangs on and dumps him out. Legacy still at full staff as they're working to throw out Kane. Legacy's left now gets Hunter, Show, and Taker. They gather up to work together. Show attacks Hunter as Legacy swarms Taker. Taker holds on and heats up and starts cleaning house with choke slams. Has a boxing match with Show one more time. Shoves off an RKO, but that allows Show to yank Taker to the apron. They battle until Orton hits our Show with an RKO across the top rope. He falls to the floor. Legacy swarm the Undertaker, but Show pulls Taker out and they brawl to the back. And that leaves Triple H alone with Legacy. And they are uh, all over him. As Orton barks directions at the team, he pounds away at Hunter. Orton demands they pick him up at the end. He slaps Hunter a bit. Hunter shoves off an RKO and takes advantage. He hits a pedigree and Rhodes. Almost dumps a charging Orton in a good tease. Hunter throws out DiBiase, sends Rhodes out right after him. But Orton comes from behind and knocks Hunter out to win the match for a big pop. And a great finish that pays off the legacy story and adds more interest to the future. I just a really fun rubble, lots of excitement and a hot crowd. A couple of good surprises and spots. The main through line was the work and dominance of legacy. 
as the story unfolded nicely as they worked as a true unit. They controlled the ring right to the end. Ray lasted a while, but didn't really get a ton of action after early on. Pretty sneaky loaded field. Really showed uh, in the crowd reaction. Interesting structure, too, with a light early section and a heavy ending. With a ton of teases and guys hanging on to save themselves. Felt like more than usual. Orin wins. He's back on his hot streak after his injury. Looks toward WrestleMania and uncertainty with his job. A really hot finish and a really good opening half. I thought it dipped down the stretch. I thought they could have cleaned out some bodies earlier. But the legacy story was excellent. And it's a really good rumble, Scott. I went four and a quarter. Uh, I'm going to start, though, by asking your feelings on the uh, return of Jim Duggan. <laughs> as long as he didn't win. <laughs> it's all a nice thing. I told you that to, to uh, last episode, that guy wanted to hear the Triple H montage. We don't want to hear this. Ah, <laughs> uh, Rob Houston. Um, <laughs> what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> Seriously, like, what was the point of this? Like, really, of all fucking guys? I mean, like, like I don't know. Do you need money? That was a good surprise. Usually when they need cash, you just give them a check. <laughs> oh, shit. Ah, it was fine. Okay. B, right. people. What did you oh. think of the match? What did you think of the match? I yeah, thought it was a great match. Yeah, I thought so, too. I gave it a, I gave it a four. I gave it a four and a half. I loved it. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I just liked the the unique placement of guys. Like, when it comes to guys like Orton and Triple H, you're in one of two spots. You're either in the first five or you're in the last five. And to be like in the like that weird spot, like late single digits heading into the teens uh, was really unique. I, I kind of dug that. Um, they could have they, they could have uh, ditched some uh, some, you know, dead weight in the in the middle. But but that was fine. I had no problem with that. Um, but I thought it was a lot of fun. A lot of good players taker. And I mean, he could have he could obviously won. Uh, uh, you know, he's obviously main event two years in a row. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, Orton winning got a big pop because I think Orton's getting his juice back. Um, and Orton having like his own little crew is is smart. Because um, now you're in an interesting quandary because you have Edge with one belt. You have Cena with the other belt. And now you got Orton who could easily face either guy. That's the best part. I think that's the best part about a guy like Orton winning is he could feud with either of those guys. Right. He could feud with Cena and he could feud with Edge to a certain extent. Uh, that makes you think that one of those two guys, preferably Edge, is not going to be champion going into Mania. So with with Orton winning the Rumble, uh, we obviously got no way out coming up and, and they'll announce, you know, we'll get into those obviously in a couple weeks. Sometime between now and that pay-per-view. They're going to have to figure out what to do with Edge because unless you have seen Orton, who haven't wrestled each other since 2007, if they main event a mania, I think that'd be great. But I feel like that's not set in stone either. So I think there's a lot of unique um, creative outlets or, or scenarios we can get out of this, Tim. Uh, again, you have Orton winning the Rumble. But are we going to have Orton Cena? Is Edge obviously keeping this this one belt? Like, what's going to – it's 
it was a great win for Orton. He deserved it. This is his chance. But now with the, these two guys having the top two belts, really, we don't know what's going to happen between now and, uh, you know, April 2nd in Houston. For sure, for sure. Um, I, I feel like this Rumble, although it was great, and it, it did a, a wonderful job of kind of changing the norms of what we know for Royal Rumbles to be, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. having that big middle of the pack moving, that middle of the pack to the end of the pack, uh, cramming a lot of your stars towards the beginning middle um, and really having us rethink um, how rumbles work. Uh, you can see that in the coming years as well. But even with all of that and the reimagination of how rumble should be, I feel like this was a one man rumble. Um, I feel like even coming into it, if you were, if you even watching the television, are you going over uh, the television leading into the Royal rumble match? All signs pointed to Randy Orton being the guy. And I feel like if anybody else would have won, it would have been something of like a big surprise. Like, ah, like if Triple H would have won, that would have shocked more heads. I think the fact of like Randy Orton, Randy Orton being the guy to win the Rumble shows the plan is the plan. Um, Like it is going to be Orton's time, especially with legacy. He's he's as hot as ever right now. Um, with that, I give this Rumble four and a half plus the Kevin uh, Rudolph two star bump, uh, a little bit of star inflation, but uh, six and a half stars, but really four <laughs> and a half. Um, but uh, I, I really enjoyed this Rumble. I feel like not to jump too far ahead into the future, but I really feel like we can see this type of Rumble happen in 2023 right. with the way current modern product is going right now um, mm-hmm. with like the bloodline playing the legacy role mm-hmm. um, but it, it, all in all um, I thought this was a fantastic rumble uh, very good uh, chewable moments that take place in nice timed out places where you have, you know, the Kozlov's or Kozlov and uh, Kali stuff. You've got the Santino in the end, even Duggan to a certain degree. Like that was a big pop. I'm, I kind of laughed when he tried his best to get the big show up and over, <laughs> but um, you can see the fight in old hacksaw. Um, but yeah, plan is the plan. Uh, Legacy wins. Randy Orton wins. And, um, an excellent point made is like, which way does Randy Orton go with having histories with both of the current champions and the state of flux between on the road to WrestleMania, um, where, where everything can lay out. Um, a lot of questions get left unanswered now that Orton is the guy who's going to be vying for the title at mania in Houston. All right, so we'll see where that goes uh, mm-hmm. as we close this show out. Let's get to our awards, and we'll wrap things up. So for MVP, I mean, I think Orton seems like the obvious one, but actually I went with all of them, I guess, because I don't think the story is as crisp without the two other two guys either. Like, the story of the Rumble is them, how Orton uses them, how they play their role. Cody had the great stuff with his brother. So I think when you think of this Rumble, you think of the three of them more than just Orton. So I, I thought all three deserved the nod. I'm good for that. They had to work as a team. It was part of the it was part of the gimmick. 
Work for me. Um, I would say that the most valuable player of the Royal Rumble was Kevin Rudolph. Um, we heard a lot of <laughs> Let It Rock this, uh, this season. Um, he was literally all over the show. Um, but if I'm if I'm being honest, it is legacy. It's, it's the legacy Rumble when yep. if you say it to fans, like you don't say it's the Randy Orton Rumble. It's right. the legacy Rumble. So Cody, Ted, and Randy all do their parts extremely well. Um, it says a lot that they got to the final final four. Um, so uh, kudos to them. You know, fantastic. Like the first team, real the first real team performance in the Royal Rumble. Yes. All right, LVP. I never go JBL. Like he's in this big storyline. The character stuff is good, but he's clearly just kind of run out of gas in the ring. The match was yep. no good. Um, it was a ton of hype. He's a focal point of it. Just couldn't really deliver in the ring anymore. So I just kind of enjoyed him the least on the night in ring wise. Yeah, he's he's he was there for strictly for storyline purposes and just forward the Sean stuff. But he's just there's nothing left for him. Mm-hmm. JBL playing the ultimate placeholder of we need something for Cena. All of the major players are in the Rumble. We can't have Sean doing anything. So it, it, LVP is absolutely JBL. All right. Best match uh, easily for me. There were a rumble. Yeah, no doubt. It's kind of unfair that it, it's, yeah. it's always the rumble in most rumble cases. Um, so, but I will give it to the rumble. Uh, worst match. Again, I went with Cena JBL. Yeah, definitely for me. Yeah, I think that I didn't make the point when we were going over it, but Shawn Michaels absolutely gives almost like a star plus added to the grade. Um, yes. It without Shawn Michaels, this is almost a dud. Um, but um, in either event, yeah, it's uh, that's what it's got to be. All right, uh, moment of the night. I'm with Orton winning the title. I mean, winning the Rumble. I, I think that was the again the standout moment of the evening. Um, you know, Edge winning was was a cool moment too, and and Hardy's turn was a good moment. But uh, to me, it's it's Orton throwing Triple H out to you know make his mark and and deliver on what he had talked about and play off the whole legacy stuff. Yep, I agree. I, I go with that too. Uh, I think this is the first time we're actually going to split the baby on this one for the episode end awards. I think moment of the night comes to the JBL Shawn Michaels Undertaker backstage promo. Mm. Um, the foreshadowing of the Undertaker showing up doing the spooky, not spooky appearing and the sometimes it's hell trying to get to heaven. Uh, a lot of foreshadowing in that. But I right. remember as a fan watching it live on pay-per-view just thinking and seeing like sean taker what like this is absolutely something like this has to go somewhere like undertaker's not just showing up and saying something to sean michaels for whatever reason um to me that that moment almost supersedes what orton does but that may also just be because i'm a i was a huge taker mark at the time uh but I iconically remember that phrase and, and that entire segment. So, All right. Surprise of the night. This is where I went with the hearty heel turn. Yeah. 
I, I hate to see it happen here because it, I think it cost Jeff Hardy at least another month as champion. But if this is what they want to do, that's what we're going to get. Um, I think surprise of the night is the Royal Rumble elimination time record being set uh, with Santino getting eliminated in like sub two seconds. Right. Um, sorry, Warlord. Um, <laughs> but that's a, that's a that's an iconic Royal Rumble moment. Um, and it, it got showed for years and years and years until they tried to reset it with Titus and then they actually set it with Titus. Um, so um, I think that's for me, that's moment of the night. All right. And final grade. This is a very good show. Um, you know, we're continuing a heart streak really since uh, early 08 or end of 07. Every pay-per-view is really pretty much delivered outside of a couple. Uh, so this, I went seven and a half. I think the undercard brings it down a bit. I, I think this could have maybe been an all-time rumble show if the undercard delivers a little bit more. Um, at, you know, Hardy Edge is a notch below what we needed. Cena JBL was kind of a stinker. Uh, the rest is kind of whatever, but it is a great rumble match to cap it, uh, with a good moment. So I, I ended up going seven and a half. So I, again, strong, strong night, but not like a top, top rumble because of some of the undercard. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, I also give it seven and a half. The thing about a Royal rumble pay-per-view is, uh, it's about the rumble. The undercards, nobody cares. It's about the rumble. That's the match everybody wants to watch. That's what this pay-per-view is based on. So if the rumble delivers, you can forgive whether the undercard is good or not good. If you have, you know, then you got years like 2000 where you had an incredible world title match and then kind of a shit rumble. And that's happened in the past. But if you have deliver with a rumble, that's your grade. The undercard's the undercard. So I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a seven and a half. It was a great rumble. I think if Edge and Jeff was a really good match, but I think if Melina, Beth, and definitely Cena JBL could have at least gone up maybe a point. We might be looking at an eight right. for this show, but it just didn't. It just didn't hit that level. Not even close. Tim, what do you think? What do you got? Um, I give this Rumble a seven, but uh, thanks to Let It Rock, this is a nine. This is a solid <laughs> oh my nine God. Rumble. Um, you are you are crazy, man. <laughs> no, it, it's a seven. It's a seven. Um. I think that the undercard actually helps. Um, I don't think anything really like as bad as JBL and John Cena was. I still don't think it like shit the bed. Mm. It was still serviceable. It, I mean, it's absolutely not the worst title match in Royal Rumble history. Um, so I think because everybody set the table and may it allowed the rumble to be really great on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think even if we split the baby on my fake grade and my real grade, I really think it could be an eight, but I'm going to go with seven. So I can give it the nine. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So that'll do it. We'll be back in two weeks time with no way out 2009. And then a month from here, we'll be at our uh, 13th, birthday episode scott and we'll be talking wrestlemania yep. 25 so it works pretty well so that'll yes. be our anniversary episode um be sure to check out everything we have to offer across all of our podcast networks playstation wrestling that's this feed here playstation pop experience and the north south connection podcast network featuring the jenny position every wednesday check out all of our social media at the north south connection uh for all of the fun new stuff we got going on there's a lot of cool things we've launched we'll talk about more our next episode but be sure to check all of that out 
uh, for all the latest news. Until then, everyone take care. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.